0: Hello friends. This is M. What you're about to listen to is the first episode of a podcast that we intended to launch uh in late 2016 and recorded in the fall probably uh and you know time gets away from you, podcasts are hard and thus it is appearing in your feeds now. This is uh for the record in case you're listening as way after the fact. April of uh, 2017, and uh, this podcast has many dated references to the way things were going to go, and it didn't break that way, and my apologies for that. But it's here, so please enjoy the podcast. Check out our website at abnormalmapping.com slash SOS check out our twitter feed at second officer slog uh the second is 2nd uh just to make it a little shorter and uh, come back next month for uh, more of these uh, if you want to send us questions i don't know if we actually use the right email in the podcast but you can check that out at uh podcasts at abnormalmapping.com send us in the email send us thoughts on star trek and uh enjoy the rest of the episode thanks so much be back next month everyone still looks uncomfortable Perhaps they all remembered that old saying, our arousal first episode of second officers log i'm your host M. with me is jackson say hello jackson hello star trek are we addressing star trek we're addressing people who like star trek this is a star trek podcast uh born entirely of us whittling away an afternoon on memory beta going what the hell happened to these characters after star trek because these books sound ludicrous yep uh if you have just clicked play on this, the
1: concept of this podcast is we are reading Star Trek books. And we're here to tell you about them. You don't need to read the Star Trek books to enjoy the podcast. That is note one.
0: Yeah. um, Just a quick note of format, I guess. Uh, we'll have already put out an episode zero where we talk about what we're going to be talking about this episode. But we wanted to do the Star Trek books. This is a monthly podcast. Uh, we are both Star Trek fans. Uh, we are going to be go- starting from the DS9 relaunch series. Uh, and then each episode, we're going to talk about an episode of the show each that we bring to the table, and those will be announced in advance. So, if this is your first podcast, we are going to be discussing the TOS episode "City on the Edge of Forever," the TNG episode "Relics," and the book. uh Is it actually DS9 Avatar? Or is it just Star Trek Avatar?
1: It's Star Trek: Deep Space Nine relaunch. Ava- well, no, just Star Trek: Deep Space Nine Avatar Book One.
0: Okay, and that is the book we we're talking about. Yes. Uh So if uh the way we're going to do this is we'll talk about the episodes and stuff that this is stuff people can easily see everything's on netflix you know whatever um and then the second half will be about the book where if you have not seen like the end of ds9 and you don't want to know how ds9 ends maybe you should not listen to that because we'll immediately start talking about post the state of star trek at the end of ds9 yes uh
1: A lot of what we wanted to do with the podcast was make an accessible way of explaining what happens uh, after Star Trek. So if you haven't read the books and you just want us to explain some bullshit, uh, this is a good show. But if you want to watch DS9, and you should want to do that, uh, don't (laughs) listen to at least the post-DS9, post-Nemesis canon that we're going to be focusing on, because uh, we'll spoil the shit out of it in minute one of that segment.
0: Yeah. Uh, Consider everything that has been filmed about star trek to date fair game for us talking about how we feel about star trek yep um yeah i don't know like i'm actually pretty spoiler apathetic about star trek stuff generally so it's never been a big problem for me i suppose we should introduce ourselves a little uh jackson you want to talk about yourself <laughs> tell people who you are if they've never heard you before
1: i guess maybe what if this podcast becomes popular and this is everyone's introduction to us for the first time yeah i uh, i am jackson i am just a guy from the uk uh who likes star trek a lot and um we uh did a video game podcast and still do for for a long time and that's what we've been doing mainly but uh if you listen to that you'll know that we occasionally just talk about star trek for half an episode and once we did that twice in a row uh and spent an evening looking at memory beta we were like what if we just chat about star trek here so that's 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 why we're here. And yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm just I don't know what do I how do I introduce myself? Who am I? What? Are, like... How old are you? What Star Trek did you grow up with? What do you like? What do you don't like? That's <laughs> guess, these are the important things. I guess you need to give me prompts. I'm um the uh, less good you know banter host uh, as you can tell. Uh, but no, I, I'm 22. I grew up watching uh, Next Gen a lot as a kid and some Voyager. Very little DS9, but it was Next Gen. That was my main show um and then i, I took a break uh, uh once my dad left and star trek wasn't on all the time and came back to it as an adult and watched all of tng uh all of ds9 i watched the movies and i've, I've started enterprise i haven't finished it but i will i'm working on that so we can get to enterprise stuff as quickly as possible uh and i, I don't know star trek's very important to me um as as like a moral philosophy which sounds incredibly dumb as a thing to say about a tv show but it is it's one of the most important uh franchise uh stories uh with theme in my life uh, which is cool so i, I like it a lot uh, and that's really been my experience with star trek so far uh i still haven't finished it i've got lots to lots to watch uh, and lots to read and i'm very excited uh how about you
0: well, uh, my name's M. I am a, at the time this podcast goes up, because these are being recorded in advance, I will be a 31-year-old and non-binary person living in Nebraska. Uh, I grew up with TNG as the thing that I love a lot. Uh, like, I saw it when it was airing. Airing is weird for a show that was, like, aired in syndication. But, you know, I was watching it as it was airing. Uh, childhood me went to various cons i've been to a con with will wheaton i've been to a con with john delancey when they were like relevant to star trek and not for a thousand other things they've done um which is weird uh and like you i watched uh voyager i watched voyager as it aired for like the first season and then didn't really keep up with it uh, just because watching tv is hard for me when it's live uh i thought ds9 was boring which uh was (laughs) my opinion until i availed myself of it in my 20s, where I really fell for it. Um, I have seen everything but maybe a few episodes of the original series. Uh, that, and the I guess the animated series, because nobody watches that, I don't think, anymore. No, uh, I also have history reading bad Star Trek books. Someday we will do the Shatnerverse books, and oh, they're hilarious. It'll you be will beautiful. What? I actually like them, but there's some goofy shit in there. Yep. But like you, I uh, very much think Star Trek is like a fundamental philosophical thing, which is fine. Like people have been citing Star Trek as like a deep source of personal inspiration since the original series aired. And I think that's like a really valid read because the things that Star Trek aspires to are unique to it. Like there's no show that goes so far out of its way to be uh, aspirational and moralistic, sometimes to its detriment. And in ways that make it very hard to adapt in, like, a modern era, I think. But those are the things that, you know, draw both of us to Star Trek.
1: Definitely. Uh, it is, it's, it's been fun to watch because, um, uh, uh, the last decade of Star Trek has been, shall we say, interesting as a you property... Mean, you mean piss poor? Uh, I mean, interesting, uh, as a, uh, this thing, this cultural, um, object that exists in the relation to it, uh... Which, ironically, it becoming so shit was what fixed it. Um, Because there was a good two years after that first J.J. Abram movie where everyone was like, this is what Star Trek should be. Uh, And then people realized how wrong they were. And hopefully Star Trek is back soon, maybe. We'll see. There's a new series coming. But we'll let you know. This is where the Star Trek talk goes.
0: Yeah. So I guess that's good for... uh introductions there's no reason to belabor these points so our episodes this uh month if you didn't cover or if you didn't listen to episode zero uh i chose city on the edge of forever did i go over this
1: you, i feel you, like i already you went said over you this. said this at the beginning of the episode
0: yes okay great sorry already just like nerves of the first episode oh. and uh you picked relics let's start with relics or do you okay. want to start with city on the i, edge I of want forever? to
1: start with the uh, city on the edge of
0: forever okay Uh, I picked this a little bit of detail. If you don't know what City on the Edge of Forever is, it is the 28th episode of the first season of the original series. Uh, It aired uh, 6th of April, 1967. Uh, It was famously written by Harlan Ellison, and we'll talk about that, directed (laughs) by Joseph Pevney. And it's about uh, Leonard McCoy going crazy because he injected himself with a drug uh, on accident. And leaps into this portal that takes him to the past, and he messes up the timeline. And so Kirk and Spock have to go back and reset the timeline, which involves Kirk falling in love with a lady, and then discovering that, no, she has to die, because otherwise she'll prevent the US from joining World War II, and Hitler will win, and the entire future will fall apart. And so Kirk has to let his lady friend die, and it's very 60s sci-fi, and is... uh, considered one of the better episodes of the original series certainly one of the most iconic uh despite how you might feel about it in like 2016 Mm -hmm. uh i picked this because like this is like the tng episode that pretty much everyone should have watched because it's referenced a lot it'll be referenced in books that we read in the future so that was part of it i'm setting up
1: tos episode
0: you said tng oh sorry yeah that might happen a lot People can <laughs> yeah. assume from context clues that sometimes I'm just going to say TNG, because that's the default abbreviation of Star Trek.
1: Yeah, no. I, anyone who doesn't think that TNG is what Star Trek is, is weird to me. Yeah. Or, I mean, old is the actual answer, but I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it.
0: Um, this is not my first time seeing this episode. I know it pretty well, because like I said, it's one of the more iconic episodes. Jackson, this was your first time watching this, I assume, My right? very first time, yes. So how did you find a City on the Edge of Forever?
1: I, re- I really liked uh, the experience of watching it. I don't actually think it's uh, necessarily great or holds up as a work of like, sci-fi storytelling. Um, but it was fun seeing like the birth of what uh, became an iconic uh, repeated point for Star Trek, which isn't so much the plot point as it is the texture of an episode where people are out of time and doing goofy comedy things, which... Uh, is a classic Star Trek premise that happens once every five minutes, and it's always good. It's always a good time, especially um, even though uh, that the movie four uh, Voyage Home is the f- famous, uh, popular example of this just in culture. Uh, it's always better in the shows because when they do it, like the com- like the comedy is played straighter in a way that is in line with um, the Star Trekness of it, uh, rather than the slightly more broad hey we need to get people in this theater uh version that um the movie does and and here we just get the beginnings of that of it's kirkenspock in the 60s and the majority of the episode is just the weird situations that arrive because of that um as uh, they try to steal some clothes and <laughs> just knock out a police officer because they don't know what money is or how to pay for things so they just steal some clothes uh and really the only actual thing they use to get out of situations is the fact that uh, Kirk is obscenely hot. And that's really, that's that one trump card.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Rugged Kirk is, you know, like not really my type, but he can get it.
1: Well oh, no, no. So here's the thing is uh, I think of Star Trek as just the world's least attractive show, at least that first one. Um, in terms of like, they're wearing those fucking pajamas that look so bad, uh, and it has an aesthetic, and it's fine. I get that that was like sixties futurism, but it looks, it doesn't, it doesn't look good uh, to me um, as someone with with no affection for it. And they're in the present, wearing their Star Trek uniforms, and they look fucking terrible. And they immediately take off uh, their clothes and put on these just rugged normal clothes, and I'm like, oh right, these are two hot people, okay. I yeah. couldn't tell there's, they there's a, there's a
0: weird, like, specific scene of, like, Kirk delivering uh, explanations as Spock is, like, tucking in his shirt that yep. goes on for, like, a minute and a half. And it's just, like, <laughs> super casual, like, Spock tucking in his shirt. And I'm like, oh, right. Like, Leonard McCoy, or not Leonard, uh, uh, why can't I think of his name? God Leonard damn it. Nimoy. <laughs> yes, there we go. Leonard Nimoy is, like, an attractive guy when he's not wearing dumb fake ears and, like, too much eyeshadow for his goal as yeah. Spock.
1: No, it was totally like, oh, as soon as you put the people in clothes, you get it. You're like, oh, they're TV stars, right? Okay, suddenly it happens.
0: Uh, but yeah, so a lot of this ends up becoming kind of de facto whenever they're in the past. This these exact some of these exact bits exist in Star Trek Four, which is baffling to me that 30 years later they forgot that cars are going to run them over if they stand in the street. <laughs> it's considering not that Kirk joke. Ha- suffers massive trauma. About a car running someone over for being in the street <laughs> at the end of this episode. Yeah, it's it's a big deal for Kirk. But no, they, they meet Edith Keeler and she is shot entirely in soft lighting because it is a 60s television show. Oh, which it's is so amazing. 60s. It's
1: it's it's weird because it is the 60s, but it feels so much older in a way. Because it's very clearly like they're doing the 30s and they're doing an it feels like an old movie
0: shot on a lot. Uh, so it is, it's shot on the same, like, city set that they shoot the Andy Griffith show on, and if you know anything about that, that's a show that's in black and white, and just gives it, like, this weird stark contrast of, like, this doesn't feel at all like anything that remotely is in the same world as Star Trek, even though those two shows were shot, like, simultaneously.
1: Huh, okay, Right. Well, that makes sense, and that makes a lot of Halber, because it's definitely clearly a set, but there's something... Different about the way the set looks in the past that is explained by that being constructed for black and white shooting.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yep. Uh, and then they just spend the rest of the time like doing manual labor and working a soup kitchen and dealing with like down on their luck. The interesting thing to me, like DS9 does this exact same thing. Wherever they go in the past, they just end up being like weird like social worker volunteers yep. basically because that's kind of what Star Trek, like Starfleet officers are anyway because. In the future, like, they don't, li- they live in, like, a post-economy world, so they just kind of are used to volunteering for stuff. So I like that that's the role they're always cast in when they're in the past. Because mm-hmm. there's that stuff in uh, DS9 where they go back and they're basically, like, uh, like don't they just, like, stand on a picket line or something for most of that episode? Where they're, like, in, like, 2060 or something?
1: Well, oh, yeah, well, that's the one where uh, Cisco becomes the revolutionary leader. Yeah. Because <laughs> of course he does.
0: Uh... Goofy shit all around. And then Spock decides that he can build a way to interface with his tricorder uh, out of (laughs) vacuum tubes. A, I feel like building a tricorder that doesn't actually have like a display screen is a big mistake, and I'm glad that they rectify this by the time we get around to the other Star Trek. Uh, And B... Uh, his like giant vacuum tube tricorder display device is hilarious
1: it's it's so funny it's so funny because there's not very much plot in this episode which is wise they just kind of wait for things to happen and while they're doing that it's just this line of ridiculous 60s wires getting longer and longer in Spock's room and also every time anyone knocks on the door he like goes for his hat and doesn't keep it on (laughs) Because he can't ever get to it in time
0: to to not have the person walking in see, yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's a good choice. I like it. And then, like, the explanation for why Spock is Spock is that he is Chinese, which is both, ooh, like... <laughs> ooh, <laughs> yeah,
1: It's just, like, oh, Oh, suddenly so uncomfortable, and you notice the weird, like, yellow effect of Vulcan effect on his skin so much more in that moment, and you're like, uh uh uh
0: The 60s. Well, he's, like, he's, like, slightly greened up. Like, that's the general idea, because Vulcans have green blood, so they try to emulate that in the makeup. Yeah. I feel like that makeup effect, like, comes across way stronger on, like, the Restoration Blu-ray versions that we're watching than they would in, like, original TV. So he just looks, like, kind of like death all the time. He really does. Uh, Aside, well, like, compared to Dr. McCoy, who actually looks like death in that he is, like, pale with giant red splotches, like, screaming through the entire episode, which is maybe actually the best part of this episode. McCoy just being crazy. Because...
1: He's running through with his evil chicken pox.
0: Yeah, killers and assassins—the <laughs> only two words he knows. Uh, yeah, and yep, he gets robbed by a homeless man, who then uh, <laughs> accidentally like shoots himself with the phaser. The whole
1: episode revolves around the idea that if this one person dies, the universe will change so much that the Federation won't exist. Uh, and then this random guy, this homeless guy, shoots himself and explodes into nothing nothing matters universe reverts to exactly the same he is
0: dust he is irrelevant <laughs> yep uh but then yeah the, the thing on the spock recorded from the guardian was that oh Keeler has to die or else everything goes to shit uh and then they're left with like the second act is basically kirk like moping about whether or not he'll let his new girlfriend die yeah because uh, she's it's... perfect
1: and this is the this is the part where the episode completely like falls down, especially in any kind of modern context, because uh, one, it's just gross and not very good and interesting story times because you've just got Kurt going, oh, should she die? Should she live? I don't know. And two, I've seen this exact premise in Doctor Who like 12 times done much better. There are two episodes where they do the same thing. One of them even has a guy getting run over by a car uh and they they do this better like like the the idea that um whatever her name is uh what's her name Edith Keeler Edith Keeler you've said it like 12 times thank you uh the idea that Edith Keeler has actually in the end no agency in her death is really strange uh and it's all Will Kirk let her die or not mm-hmm. uh, she's just a macguffin uh that he wants to fuck which i yep. guess is most macguffins in star trek
0: It's interesting because I feel like any other version of Star Trek, the idea that he would be anguished about this choice is, like, ludicrous because, like, if Picard went back, if Jane went back, if even Archer went back, they would be like, no, of course they have to die. This is the way things work. This is how time works. I can't just, like, change time on a whim because I like this person.
1: Prime directive. Yeah. Temporal prime directive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the good shit.
0: Temporal prime directive.
1: Oh, what's your favorite? Someone's favorite Star Trek arc is the Temporal Cold
0: War. Um, Lore of Numbers! Yeah, I guess so. Like, I like Enterprise more than almost anybody I've ever met. And the Temporal Cold War (laughs) is stupid. (laughs) It's incredibly stupid. Oh, it's so dumb. I get why on paper it looks like a good idea, but when you realize that you have to have a shadow man that everyone talks to, but you never can reveal because no reveal would actually be interesting, it all falls apart immediately. Yep.
1: What if they revealed he was a... 30 foot tall man
0: <laughs> we cannot we cannot <laughs> talk about star wars on our star trek podcast
1: <laughs> we going too deep uh, but yeah no, that was my uh city in the edge of forever reactions yep uh,
0: um worth reading up if you go to memory alpha of course every episode has a ton of errata based on its production always worth reading the strangeness of harlan ellison's original teleplay and how impossible it would have been to film because it was over ambitious, and then it's basically like entirely been rewritten and then Harlan Elson wanted to take his name off of it but Gene Roddenberry is like no we need sci-fi writers who will write for us you can't take your name off of it because then people will know that like will think we're hard to work with but actually you're just insane and we don't want to work with you yeah. uh, the whole cavalcade of problems that came from this episode which then went on to like win a Hugo award and become like one of the most well regarded episodes of the show is great
1: It's great. And one of the, uh, well, we won't summarize it all because it's too much. You should go read it. But one of my favorite tidbits is that um, Gene Roddenberry's secretary, who became the story editor, basically ended
0: up fixing the whole thing. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is hilarious. I'm curious when we go through the original series, how many of these episodes will all be like, someone came in and fixed it and was not credited for doing so.
1: 99%.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's basically what happens
1: in a lot of TNG, except they start getting credited.
0: (laughs) How many of the people who came in to fix these episodes are secretly Ben Cisco hallucinating that he's the <laughs> author in the past? Oh, imagine if we lived in a
1: universe where that was the end of DS Nine, <laughs> <laughs>
0: where he was just fixing, he was just doing punch up on Star Trek <laughs> episodes. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's that's a story for another time. I guess we, we should, should talk ta- about relics. Yeah, you should talk about relics.
1: Uh, so relics. I'll quickly summarise: uh season six, uh, episode I think four or five.
0: It is um, episode four. Episode four of uh, The Next Generation. Do uh, you have writer and director? Do you need me to read that off?
1: Uh, Ronald D. Moore's the writer. Yep. And the director's uh,
0: someone. Alexander.
1: Alexander something. Singer. Singer. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. Okay.
0: Uh, where was I? Yes. I just have uh, memory <laughs> alpha up, to be fair. <laughs> okay, <But> good. <laughs> I feel like it's important to credit this stuff if we're going to talk about these episodes in depth. It definitely is. Um, and it I also think the... it's really oh, interesting. It aired 12th of October, 1992. Were you alive then, Jackson? No. This episode's older than me. How do you feel? Uh,
1: very old. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch it on television?
0: Um, but, You know, I feel like this might... Mm, maybe. Like, I definitely saw this when it was airing, but probably not first run. I feel like that's just, like, maybe a little bit too young for me. Yeah,
1: because I saw a lot of TNG when it was airing on BBC, and, like, they
0: just went seven seasons in and then just repeated it for a decade. Until I... They stopped because it's weird because like i remember when tng ended but mm-hmm. then like i realized that i was like eight when that happened yeah and i don't remember watching star trek that young i like if you'd asked me what age i was when that happened i would have been like oh it's like 11 or 12 but no i was a child
1: yeah this is a weird, yeah.
0: i feel like this is maybe a weird show to be into as a child but i feel like that explains a lot about how i turned out i
1: mean same with me <laughs> uh this is this is my child show it's this and you know power rangers mm-hmm. two of the, the same show they're basically the same show
0: we're not going <laughs> to that today so, no i was joking Justin, tell me yes. about relics
1: relics is an episode in which um uh, begins as so many episodes do with the enterprise crew finding some weird signal disturbance and it's also how city on the edge of forever begins uh And going in, and they find a ship that has been crashed, and there's no life signs on board, but it's still running for some reason. Like, the life support's on has been for 75 years, and they find out that the uh,
0: teleporter- uh, No, transporter, sorry. God. Transporter- I want to interrupt briefly and say the ship is crashed on the surface of a Dyson Sphere, which is, (laughs) like, unfathomably out of scope with the rest of everything in Star Trek to just put a Dyson Sphere in the universe. Just
1: just one Dyson Sphere that's- it's massive it's so massive and its size like
0: doesn't really come into play no but like there is like more material to make up that dyson sphere than probably all of starfleet like three times over yeah it's
1: like the, the data has an offhanded line like oh yeah they made the structure and it would have taken uh, 254 million planets
0: no no uh, like the dyson sphere as like a theoretical concept is so outside of the scale of like human beings to grasp that like even thinking about it makes me feel icky uh yes for sure and
1: they they go to the ship that's been crashed in the Dyson sphere find the transporter is still on and there's like been they've they've rigged the way transporter's work for it to go through the buffering phase just inevitably uh, inevitably uh in, in perpetuity and they undo this and get whatever's stuck inside out and it's Scotty from the original series uh, yep now, captain. Scotty
0: almost indistinguishable from his original series self because of all the people who <laughs> aged into looking different. Scotty aged into looking different the most. Yep. Yeah. He, he's just old guy. Oh. Uh, Scotty and friend. To be fair, friend is dead because friend's yes. pattern degraded too far.
1: His pattern was degraded to fifty-three percent. He could not be found. Yep. Yeah, no. Franklin.
0: Is that Um, his name? That's his name. You forget
1: Franklin, the character that we don't see, but Scotty is sad about for like four scenes. No. And the episode is basically Scotty trying to fit in on the Enterprise D for uh most of the running time until there is a perfunctory emergency in the ten minutes and Scotty and Geordie work together to save the day. And it's about uh feeling out of time, feeling out of place, uh and th- that kind of stuff, which Star Trek does a lot. It's a theme that Star Trek comes to a lot is weird, wistful, nostalgia, uh, which is one of the things I appreciate about it. Uh and and this episode is a big example of that. I really liked it when I first saw it. I liked it again Uh, going back to it now uh it it, watching the blu-ray version which i've never seen blu-ray tng before
0: because when i was on something else
1: yeah when i was on netflix it wasn't looking like that and it's it looks so good like the show looks great in a way that surprises me every time i watch it because i will never forget uh watching an episode of firefly i think it was like a couple years ago i'm thinking this looks cheap and empty and crap does this just happen to all sci-fi eventually and then going back to this was like oh no this is this looks like it looks old it's clearly an 80s show uh but it once they do the the effects to it like the carpet it looks great the enterprise d i wouldn't add anything to it if i was
0: shooting it today it's great no. In fact, when they decide to relight the Enterprise for generations, they fucking ruin the aesthetic of gener- of Star Trek next generation.
1: You yeah, no, that the the lighting is key. You cannot have dark lighting on the bridge.
0: Yeah. I don't uh we'll talk we about that at some point. <laughs> we can't right now. Uh but no, uh, I, I but, like the episode a lot. What did
1: you think? Because you've been so going through a journey. The,
0: while like there is the plot of oh like the Enterprise D goes into the Dyson sphere and then gets trapped and then uh, Jordy and Scotty have to break them out using the crash genolan. The actual plot is that Scotty and Jordy, while being the engineers of their various enterprises actually have nothing in common and mostly dislike each other yep and that's the stuff that i really like where scotty is like a miracle worker i'm gonna fudge the numbers to make everyone think that i'm getting work done faster like i could take apart engines in my sleep i wrote all the technical manuals i am a genius and jordy is like a problem solver and like works like him and data are the engineering team not jordy like uh, when I was reading some of the stuff on Miralfa, they talk about the fact that, like, Jordy started on the bridge, like, he was a helmsman and then just ended up in, engin- in engineering because the chief engineer dies, like, in episode two or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he's, like, an engineer, like, engineering is not his life. He is, like, a person who's about other things. And, uh, like,. In the future, like, Geordi, like, in one of the alternate futures in one of the Star Treks, like, Geordi's like a captain. Like, the idea of Geordi is that he's a character that could contain multitudes, whereas Scotty is, I am the engineer. That is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fly the ship and make the engine run. Uh, And those two characters are, like, entirely clash. And it's, like, also a difference between TOS and TNG sensibilities where, like... Scotty's like, I'm going to cut all of the corners and make up my own rules. And Geordi is very by the book. This is the way we do things. I'm going to tell Picard the truth every single time. I keep my nose clean. And, like, I get it. Like, people who like the original series think of TNG as, like, the weird, like, soft everyone is, like, a happy family show. And they're right. And that's what makes it great. Yeah. Uh, But, like, I get where there could be friction if you wanted, like, cowboy starship adventure time. Yeah, that, that, uh...
1: Oh, you, you finished it all.
0: No, go ahead. I mean, that's just what original series is.
1: Yeah, uh, that moment where he goes up to Jordi and says, uh, "Wait, how much did you? Uh, well, how long did you say it was going to take? An hour? Well, how much is it really going to take? An hour?" And he's like, "Why would you tell him that?" Uh, and Jordy's reaction is great because he's not like offended that. Um, scotty would lie to his captain he it hadn't even occurred to him that that was a thing he could do yeah he's <laughs> like, like why, I just, why would, why you, would you do that <laughs> yeah it just wasn't in the realm of possibility uh, and like i say, that's a, definitely a difference in sensibility because um you know tng is weirdly no meeting room in this episode but usually uh it's something happens and you go to the meeting room and everyone says this is what's happening and this is this and then they sort it out
0: and Yeah, no, you have to have the everyone talks about their feelings scene In this instance, it happens with Picard and Scotty drinking on the Enterprise, like, original bridge.
1: With a hilarious moment where uh, Picard is like, yeah, I'm the fucking best drinker on this ship.
0: Yeah, no, (laughs) because, like, Scotty's, uh, like, disgusted that they drink synthahol because it's like, why would you ever do that? It doesn't taste like alcohol. So he gets a bottle of... uh, some sort of actual alcohol from Guinan's bar that Data gives him, and then goes to drink on the holodeck because that's what I would do in Star Trek. I don't know about anybody else. And Picard comes and gives him a swig of that, and he's like, "Yeah, I gave it to Guinan. Of course, I did." Yep. Because the future isn't actually as like sad, like baby future as Scotty perceives it. It's just a different time. Like sensibilities are different, but people are still the same. Yeah.
1: Uh, and uh, Scotty going from. Uh, Oh, I need to help. Oh, I'm so sad. And then eventually, I'm just going to fuck off and do my own thing. Goodbye, the lot of you. Yep,
0: they give him a a shuttle and he just flies off into space, which is (laughs) great. That's like the perfect end of Scotty.
1: Yeah, it's perfect. Because of course he is. He's just in some uh, ship somewhere. I mean, there's novels that we'll probably revisit about what he does next.
0: Uh... Uh, I have read a book that we might read sometime where Scotty steals the... Uh, like the original enterprise a from a museum to go to romulus to rescue spock when spock's adventures go south
1: of course that's what someone wrote yeah ah <laughs> oh, i love star trek books as just pure fanfic unashamedness yeah those were kind of words <laughs> um but yeah it's a good episode it's a good yep. time
0: one of the most hilarious bits of errata in this episode is that they almost made this about Kirk and not about Scotty, which, like, yep. the idea of, like, just an episode in which Kirk showed up out of a transporter loop, like, I don't think TNG could handle Kirk showing up. I mean, that's luckily what they realized. Yeah. Uh,
1: Kirk is too big for this show. Yeah. And
0: when they eventually do it, we will get to that. And it's it's not like... It's all like with very limited effect because it's only him and Picard, because anything else would immediately detangle everything TNG's about. And arguably yeah. still did, even when it was just Picard and Kirk. Yeah.
1: It's uh it's a very weird thing. Like like it it makes you realise just how different T N G had at least by this point become uh from the original series, even though it like started out by just rewriting phase two scripts.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: but it's clearly its own identity, and not only is it its own identity, but clearly for us and for most people, it is the identity for Star Trek and the thing that exists that like DS9 builds upon. and yeah. like even
0: Voyager like builds directly out of TNG, like they both take different ideas of TNG and spin them out to something else.
1: Oh, sure. But I mean, when I think of uh, DS9 as a different version of Star Trek, I think of it as a response to TNG rather than another, like a third one. Sure. There's uh, uh, more I was getting at there. But yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I,
0: yeah, and like equally equally worth mentioning is like this this episode has like more acting from James Doohan than like the entirety of the actual original <laughs> series of Star Trek yeah. and he kills it like he's so good and like when you go back and watch those episodes you're like oh this is like the Kirk Spock McCoy hour and everyone else just has to take the back seat yeah. and that's kind of all that they get to do like Scotty's like barely a character which is why like there's just jokes about his accent because he's not like actually a person in the way that TNG spends a lot of time making everyone a person.
1: Because mm-hmm. uh, his accent in this is all over the place, which I know it always is, but man, yeah, it always has been. Man, mm-hmm. just coming along and sometimes vaguely sounding Scottish, but sometimes just the most Irish. You yep. uh, know, it's ridiculous. He's a
0: ridiculous person. It's great. Yes. But yeah, that's relics that is relics and that is the first half of this episode so if you don't want to know about the ending of ds9 uh come back next month we'll talk about more episodes um you know uh the episodes will be in the description that we're going to pick but we're going to do all that stuff at housekeeping at the end so yes uh until then First book is as we said star trek ds9 avatar book one of two uh written by sd perry uh this came out in 2001 uh so this is a pre-nemesis i guess but is post ds9 yes uh you said there's a ton of ds9 books before nemesis happens
1: uh, the way so we've gone through um we made a nice little nice little chart of what the books uh, are and the problem is when you go on the internet and you look for uh order to read these books they all go by timeline and i didn't want that i wanted publishing order because that's like that's how you read things Um, yes come on like who you know who wants to have the retcon and then move on like it's dumb uh and i found out that there's like 10 11 ds9 novels that happened before the post nemesis book starts but that's only in terms of um uh, chronology publishing wise uh as there was a few that were made and then they did the post-Nemesis series, but the DS9 series remained pre-Nemesis until they did a big skip uh, later, which I don't know the details because I haven't read them and I'm not going to, um, until I get there, it's not like we're going to dive into memory beta again. Uh, no, but that, now, we have to, now we have to do it for the podcast. Yeah.
0: There's
1: only a few things we found out and they're all Voyager related. <laughs>
0: uh, Yep. Yeah. No, we can talk about how much Chakotay sucks another day. <laughs> uh, I mean, he sucks today too. No, he sucks in all the days. <laughs> he sucks every day. Every day but... Chakotay sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but Avatar, it begins with a matches a clearly every book reference material pile of every single thing that happens in DS9 for about 30 pages. And then we pick yeah. up three months later after the end of that show.
0: Uh, Jake Sisko on Bajor is being given a Bajoran prophecy by a lady named Estani Rayla. And he she disappears and then he reads it and he's like, Oh, this is very strange. This talks about like the Avatar and the white the emissary and the emissary's second son, which would be my uh sibling that's going to be born from Cassidy Because Cassie Yates is pregnant, and I'm gonna go and deal with this and it's a big mystery and immediately I'm like, Oh no. Yeah, oh no. no. First first chapter,
1: this first prologue was i was dreading i was like oh this is just gonna be bad i'm just gonna hate this book i'm gonna be because i love ds9 so much and it ends just incredibly strong and then immediately it's jake alone on some archaeological dig being given a prophecy and i'm like
0: fuck no and like we can talk about it a little later and i bet we'll talk about a whole lot in the future ds9 books but one of the things i really like about ds9 is that it Like, I feel like you can go and say DS9 grants that all of the like religion of Bajor is true. Yes. But it's only true for Bajor. Like, it doesn't conflict with the idea that this is still just wormhole aliens and Starfleet doesn't actually give a shit about their religion outside of they care about all religions, but kind of the same like dismissive amount. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this book leans a little too hard in no, the religion is true and everyone buys into it. And we'll get into that as we get to all the stuff with Rolaren, because on DS9, uh, Kira is dealing with a station that's trying to put itself back together after the war has ended. Like all the all of the support that happened because it was the front lines of the war is now gone, and so they're just trying to hold the station together because the station's still a piece of shit because it's still DS9. Yep. Uh, and now, like, Rolaren is her new chief of security, because the Bajorans sent her there, because I assume they didn't want her on Bajor, because it's Rolaren and nobody likes her. Uh, um, I call her Rodo. No. No, 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 <laughs> we can't. No. No? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, she uh, she was uh,
1: positioned... Or, and there's a little paragraph in the in the book. She is positioned on Bajor for a while because she's like there's this whole paragraph about that's where she wants to be. Uh and she eventually goes to DS9. Like that's a, that's a focal point later on in the book.
0: Yeah. It, the, yeah. Uh, and while that's all happening and things are just settling down, uh Istani Rayla, the character that gave Jake Sisko this prophecy, turns up dead, uh murdered by someone else who like killed themselves instead of being captured, and there's a mystery about why she was being murdered. And so Rowler and who Kira does not trust at all is now researching this uh, being Odo as best she can, uh, she's actually not very good at being Odo, but I like all of the stuff with Rolaron as chief of security. I think it's great. Uh, uh, yeah. Star Trek as like murder mystery is one of my favorite sub genres of Star Trek. <laughs> it's
1: really good. Um, and I, I, I really liked the section. I was like, oh, right, Star Trek's happening. Like they're talking to people on the promenade. There's just day to day DS9 stuff happening. And suddenly I'm in. But to flash back to the beginning of this chapter, immediately after jake cisco prophecy we have kira prophecy dream
0: (laughs) oh right right because she has like a vision of (laughs) uh of cisco right she has a vision of cisco and
1: like the death of people in the war and none of it makes sense and she's like oh what does this mean and then it's immediately forgotten and we get into star trek and i'm like oh thank thank
0: fuck we get cassidy yates going to see bashir to check on how her baby's doing sheer yep. having like drama with Esri because that's what they do because that is a couple that is clearly doomed but it's how DS9 ended so we have to at least follow through with that.
1: I love how they acknowledge how doomed they are just immediately just immediately because the, the final episode of DS9 begins like the first shot is those two together like they made it like the Josh and Donna of DS9 and come on. I mean, they literally
0: literally just hook up, like, as, like, a reason. Like, it's like an end of the war celebration thing. Like, clearly they both wake up and are like, this is a terrible idea. But now these books are continuing. And so we get to find out just how terrible an idea it is, I guess.
1: It's an incredibly terrible idea. And I I would say this is my favorite stuff in the book, is the uh, more lower key, just... Uh, Ensemble threads being run through as they Mm -hmm. go, all right, what does it mean for all these characters to be in this place? What is, how is Kira coping with? i'm the new cisco and i have to fucking deal with everyone and also the wars ended and we don't really have a purpose anymore and how is Ro Laren coping with everything <laughs> and uh how is bashir coping with um being a child who has no idea how to do anything about relationships ever but cares so much about helping people uh that it almost hurts everyone else
0: uh and then some more housekeeping of where we all at there is a new science officer named shar uh they are an andorian uh they're start like they're starfleet right they are starfleet they're starfleet okay, Andorian. Yes. yes i think it's really important to note that not like there's so many people who are not like rolaren is not starfleet she is part of the bajoran security force oh whatever. yes
1: it's weird because i always see her in a starfleet uniform because that's rolaren to me but you're no right, she, she comes is...
0: she's she's the bajorans gave the like center up there she has yes. nothing to do with starfleet yep. and they talk a lot about how starfleet wants nothing to do with ro mm-hmm. uh, um and uh nog is currently like refitting the defiant because the defiant I, I don't remember the end of ds9 but i assume the defiant was just like falling apart by the end of that whole thing
1: well no uh ds9 spoilers <laughs> um the defiant is destroyed in like episodes four of that big finale thing oh is comes- it really Yeah, and then, like, they get a new ship, which I think it's the USS Sao Paulo or something, and Cisco's like, we're going into battle and renaming it the Defiant, let's go, and they win. Like, And they just never give it back, I guess? Yeah, they're just, this is the, well, no, they're given it, and it's renaming it the Defiant. Okay. uh, That Cisco does is like, our ship is the Defiant. I'm pretty sure
0: that's not how ships work.
1: No, he renames it, he gets permission to rename it. Uh, And that's, that's, um... That's yeah. So it's it's not in great shape because it wasn't that big final battle. But it's a fairly okay. new ship, uh, and yeah. for some reason, they has the cloaking device on it again. <laughs> they never oh, right, get yeah. into why. No, the I Romulans got that. The
0: Defiant is not the Defiant. <laughs>
1: yep. Uh, I mean, the show did as well. I think okay, there was good. probably a line saying the Romulans built the cloaking mechanism again because war. Even though we don't need it anymore. Anyway, goodbye. Um, yep. <laughs>
0: but and. Yeah. Uh, the USS Aldebaran, uh I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, is That's how stationed... I was pronouncing it. Yep. Yeah, what, what kind? Of... It's a nebula class, which is basically the galaxy saucer with like the nacelles strapped to the bottom, which is I'm... the goofiest version of Star Trek ships to me. I'm googling nebula class starship. Uh we go. So it's, it's in TNG. You'll know it when you see it. Oh, <laughs> it's
1: such a gamey ship! Yeah, oh. it's the
0: one that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, it's clearly, like, two different ship, uh, like, models, like, bash kit together, and they're great. It's, oh, uh,
1: it's, it's, uh, yeah, I do really like that one. Also, I'm glad that that's the one that's around, because it gives this book a tone of, um, like, it's not an Enterprise E style ship, of this is a cool post Dominion War design. It's an old ass fucking ship.
0: And, uh,. There's also uh, on the ship is Tiris Jast, who, or not on the ship, she, or on the Defiant, I guess. It's Tiris Jast. She is the new commander of the station. She is Kira's second command. She has a Bolian. Yes. Uh, and then uh, the plot happens. Jackson, what happens in the plot?
1: Um. Suddenly, out of nowhere, the wormhole opens and uh, there's a mini more restarts immediately as three. Um, Hadar ships just crush the station, destroy the old uh,
0: I uh, worth pointing out, you say Dominion War. No, restarts, I was ge- I was getting three. To, I was getting to okay. it. Uh, Three Gem everyone... Hadar attack ships, not even like a giant battleship or anything. <laughs>
1: and three Gem Hadar att- attack ships completely managed to fuck up the station and cause more deaths, like on screen, than actually happened. Uh, in the time the station got attacked, <laughs> in the show
0: because mm-hmm. uh, it's a bloodbath yeah no they they come out and immediately blow up the Aldebaran because the Aldebaran was caught unawares and I, I knew they were going to blow up the Aldebaran
1: second the uh, passage like the the section before it happened began as they're like uh, this person liked to watch them and guess who was getting in relationships and I'm like you're not a new character you're just about to die aren't you <laughs> and lo and behold he immediately blows up uh, and, and then uh so this attack is happening, and it's not its not actually the Dominion War restarting, uh, but we'll get to why in a second, because a lot happens during the attack.
0: Well, what mostly happens is the Defiant and DS9 are caught unawares without any, like, basically everything had been unplugged to be, like, fixed and refit, so yep. the Defiant is basically screwed, and it's like Nog and Ezri and Tiris Jast on the ship trying to hold it together just in time. Like... Doing everything he can to get rid of these Jem'Hadar fighters before they blow up DS9. Because DS9 barely doesn't, like, doesn't even have shields. Like, they definitely don't have weapons. Mm -hmm. Uh, And everyone on DS9 is busy just holding on for dear life and hoping they don't blow up. Including, like, Rolaren and Quark who were, like, Rolaren was, like, investigating the mystery... And Quirk was realizing that he wants to investigate Rolaren when this happens. <laughs> and, like, Rolaren bumps her head and Quirk decides to be heroic and bring her to sickbay. Oh,
1: he wants to investigate Rolaren? Yes. <laughs> yes, okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, and... Quirk has a big crush on Rolaren. It is seemingly definitely not reciprocated because she mostly is like, well, we could work together. If you like me, I guess that makes it easier to work with you. Yeah. But that seems to be as far as she takes it.
1: It's pretty good.
0: Yeah. The Quirk stuff doesn't really come up in this plot, but I like it because Quirk is like basically ready to leave as this show starts because he's like, Well, everyone cool is gone. It's just the Bajorans and Starfleet. The war's over. There's nothing to do here. I might as well just go home. And then everything happens and Quark's like, Well, I've got someone I like, and maybe this is gonna be a place that's popping off. I guess I'll stick around. Yeah. It's it's good. I it's a... Uh... What, look like, the ensemble
1: plots are the reason this book is uh, cool to me. Like, the Quark one, the first line is, the money was safe, that's what mattered. Just after everyone dies. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most
0: perfect, like, ah, oh, yes, Quark, yes, good. They, this person knows exactly what they're doing. Uh, and the Defiant uh, manages to kill two of the Jem'Hadar fighters, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, yes, uh, only after... An- so the thing, the, the two oh. big
1: thing happens that we're missing... Um, Another Jem'Hadar ship comes through and, uh, destroys one of the remaining ships and takes out, uh, like, like, is destroyed by, but, like, leads away, uh, of uh, uh, the, the final one and gives right, the right. Defiant so, time. So yeah,
0: the Defiant destroys, like, ship one, and then the two ships basically hit the Defiant to the point where, like, it's, like, stalled dead in space, mm-hmm. uh, and in that, Tira's Jast is killed because yep. everything's exploding. Like, the Star Trek panel explodes. This person's got blood on their face. They're clearly dead. Uh, Which is my, like, I love <laughs> that the book accurately represents that is how Star Trek characters die. Yeah. Like, the they're like, uh, the have blood just... on the face. You roll them over. Oh, they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, because they have the moment where Nog goes up to her and rolls
1: over and, no, she's dead. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Because... It is an important part of Star Trek. Is the panels explode? It w- Star Trek wouldn't work without that. <laughs> and nope. they just they just bring it in. No changes. Not even going to try to uh, make it
0: more real for this budgetless thing. And then uh, that that second sh- that last uh, Jem'Hadar ship comes to the wormhole, is damaged. Manages to take out one of the Jem'Hadar fighters that are attacking the station, and then the third one destroys it. And so there's one Jem'Hadar fighter and the Defiant dead in space. And then Ezri and Nog come up with an ingenious plan to retcon how the Defiant works to <laughs> save the day. <laughs> they definitely <laughs> do that. Because apparently the front of the Defiant is actually like a secret like compartment that houses torpedoes that can like shoot off. And I've, I've only at the been plan. here once. I looked at the plans because this is what I did. I, I'm like, this is <laughs> bullshit. I'm going to look at the plans. There are torpedoes in that segment of the Defiant. It is not implied that they can like launch off of the Defiant like this whole thing detaches. Like it's a weird mobile weapons platform that is just made up by the book. <laughs> Good, but Good. apparently I'm going to be the person who fact checks these things as they come up in these books. So please I, enjoy.
1: I mean, we're doing this podcast. It would be irresponsible of us not <laughs> like it, it's a Star Trek book podcast. In the spirit of that, we're gonna check the, the check the maps. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh and th- that whole um basically uh originally i was really annoyed because i I'd, I'd, I'd found Tyrus jazz to be an interesting character i didn't want them to just kill off all the new characters uh because that, that's that's really dull to me um but the the plot line that it actually allows to advance uh which is interesting is esri taking command and uh growing in that way
0: yeah because uh, so much uh like the bashir esri plot which uh is like the D plot of this book, so we didn't really, we're not really going to talk about it much. Is that, uh, like Bashir is like in love with like the idea of Dax and of Ezri, because like Bashir had a thing for uh, Jadzia, and that never really shook out, obviously. Uh, and like e- he likes Ezri because Ezri is like Jadzia but not threatening, because Bashir is like the most threatened by people person. Uh, <laughs> he is
1: so threatened. <laughs>
0: But Ezri is, like, just starting to come into what it means to be, like, a joint trill. So, like, this whole thing, like, puts her in command because she's, like, realized that she has the experience of, like, a half dozen people who have all been in life and death situations many times in the past. And, like, Jadzia was, like, part of the command crew of DS9. She knows what she's doing. She has a ton of experience. So, like, pulling from all of that it like allows Ezri to be like a stronger character, but clearly like Ezri knows the minute she does that, that like her and Bashir are totally doomed because Bashir cannot handle like the 700 year old worm that is actually Dax and not like the pixie Ezri that he sees when he wakes up in the morning. Uh,
1: I want to talk about that plot a little bit. We won't summarize it as we go. So I just want to mention it now. Um, yeah. Like the way this plot goes is uh, later in the book, uh, Bashir and Ezri are getting down
0: to it as they do Um. And I want to point, I I just want to say as a matter of fact, and I will bring it up every time it happens, I do not want sex scenes in my Star Trek books. Uh, I think, I think they're just making out. I think that's all that happens. I know. But, <laughs> like, this is fine. Like, it's totally like you could put it in an episode and it wouldn't like raise too many eyebrows. But please, please don't do this.
1: <laughs> okay. Um...
0: It, I I don't like, I don't think Star Trek is ne- necessarily sexless, but I think it's sexyless. If that, means, <laughs> it is,
1: it is if that difference sexy. means anything, it, I mean, if you watch the uh, Enterprise uh, pilot, you will know exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so they're doing that, and in the middle of that, um, uh, Esri looks at him, and like whatever her um, you know, whatever she's doing, whether you know whether they're having sex in this book uh he clearly is like oh that's jadzia looking back at me like the way she speaks changes and her eyes change and suddenly uh Ezri is a real person or a real trill i should say and not this uh idea of um w- like what Ezri is to her uh to him sorry uh and it just breaks like immediately. And I really like that scene because uh, by the end of this brook, they haven't broken up and they haven't even talked about it. Uh, but they really do a good way of communicating just how, oh, no, this is doomed. And they both know it. And now they just have to go through the messy process of understanding that. And maybe Bashir uh, will learn not to be scared one day. He won't. He'll never, he'll
0: never learn. It's too late for him. Yeah. Uh, so while the, now that the Gemitar are dead, basically they're like, we have to put everything together. Everything was in, falling apart. Nog and Kira in particular are beating themselves up. Cause that's what Nog and Kira do. Yes. Uh, and basically they're waiting for word from Starfleet. Cause now they're like, is this like the start of a new war? Like, what does this mean? We need to hold steady and wait until Starfleet shows up to tell us what, what's going to happen. Uh, and everyone is sad and Bashir is working overtime, trying to keep everyone together. Uh, and meanwhile on Bajor, the Vedics are there having a secret conclave.
1: <laughs> they totally cut to like the e- evil conspiracy room where everyone in the evil conspiracy is doing conspiracy
0: shit. But like the like the Vedics are part of DS9, like not it like they can be like an obstruction to the way that like Starfleet wants to operate, but they're rarely portrayed as like outright evil. But here we're just given like, <laughs> yep. oh, we there is an abomination. We need to find it. We need to stop it. And We're going to send Vedic Yevir to Deep Space Nine, and there he's going to find the uh, uh the problem and he's going to stamp it out. No, and the- let's hope that doesn't mean he has to murder someone.
1: The uh, the actual wording is he will remove the heresy.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> so that sounds bad.
1: Yeah. And all of his chapters, cause he has a couple of, um, uh, passages from his perspective. Uh, cause this book bounces perspective all the time. And I think it's one of the most effective things about it. Um, and I, but the, all of them are just written in the most fake, like, evil guy positive way. As he's like, he saw this was happening and he knew it was right. He knew this was good and would work because he was chosen by the prophets to kill these people.
0: Although I was like, I mean, to be fair, he was chosen by the prophets. And this is like <laughs> one of the things that I really like is that he is a, an actual, like, side character from an episode of Deep Space Nine. Like, they just brought this guy back, apparently. Yeah, he's important now. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Which <laughs> I want more of going forward and not. All of the characters that were main characters are now on the same ship, which I think we'll probably get
1: in what way you mean like now rose here
0: yeah like that's like I want less of that, and like I know we'll get there, like shar is given a lot in this, and he's like a new character, and I think that's really interesting, yeah, I
1: thought that both uh Char and Jast would be able to do that, but but like by the end of the book it's clear that shar's the real new character here, and I hope which that is which is
0: fine because Andorians are better than Bolians. it's true
1: um but I know that as um like as the books go on, there are like there is a series called titan about will Riker's ship in which apart from like like it's a crew of a lot of new people the doctor's a
0: dinosaur jackson the doctor's a dinosaur i i didn't
1: i didn't even know but i just knew that uh like like the star trek books do not shy away from introducing new characters the doctor is a dinosaur (laughs) the doctor's a dinosaur uh but yes and now on ds9 nothing happens for the rest of the book like there's no more plot just a couple of things happening and then it ends
0: so that's not true because everyone suddenly starts like having these moments where they're like oh is there someone in the room with me and they're very weird and shady uh and Ro is starting to figure out that uh uh Istani is that her name yes Uh, that Istani, like, hid something on DS9 and she finds this book that she can't translate. And so she gives it to Char and is like, please translate this, but don't tell anyone. About
1: that, there's a moment in it where she finds uh, these numbers. She was, like, killed for these numbers. And she's like, what do these numbers mean? And I'm like, oh, these numbers are clearly letters. Let me check what they correspond to. Uh, And they didn't correspond to anything. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then, like, three paragraphs later, oh, no, like, that's. At the end of the chapter, sorry. They say, uh, but in the Bajoran al- alphabet, uh, the, like, twelfth letter was C. And I'm like, fuck this.
0: <laughs> <'Cause-> I <laughs> thought there was going to be, like, a weird Bible code thing where she'd have to open up a Bajoran, like, book of religion and, like, figure out the word letters. So I'm glad that we both leapt to dumb Dan Clark or Dan Brown bullshit.
1: I leapt to the actual right conclusion. <laughs> they yep. just didn't make it possible to find. <clears throat> no, I mean, you weren't supposed to. It's not that no- kind of book. No,
0: but... Uh, it was dumb, and it was, it was fine. Uh, and actually... so, uh, in the middle of, like, a, a welcome home celebration for Jake at Quark's, uh, suddenly, uh, Shaw realizes that there is uh, someone in the room that only he can sense with his enduring antennae, and basically, like, throws coffee on them to reveal them. And it's a cloaked Jem'Hadar, which everyone freaks out about, and they throw in the brig, yeah. and then that Jem'Hadar reveals it's a nefarious purpose
1: hey they they star trek the gem hadar
0: (laughs) star trek star (laughs) trekking star
1: trekking is when a villain is introduced for the sheer purpose of being incredibly villainous to everyone all the time and then they become not that star trekking is when they made the borg into a friend called hugh and he's like uh i'm from the gem hadar but i'm just here to on everything uh but um uh, everything blew up around me obviously those other three ships they were clearly bad and i didn't know what to do so i've just been kind of hanging out and
0: watching you didn't know what to say anyway awkward bye and then just kind of stay more importantly odo sent me things back. are chill it's not a war please chill he is like please chill but also like um, you're not gonna chill because they just killed all of you but also chill
1: also odo's yeah. back <laughs>
0: Yeah, but also here's my Cell White. So to prove that I am telling the truth, as if like the Gem Hadar not willing to die at like a, the drop of a hat anyway. <laughs> yeah, like stopping taking Cell White doesn't prove anything. It just proves that the Gem Hadar is about to die. <laughs> yeah. Uh but like at the same time, because it's a Star Trek, you immediately know this guy is absolutely telling the truth, 110. <laughs>
1: yeah, and and there's not too much debating about it. Like Kira Hayes is like oh he's telling the truth. Okay. Um. Like, the admirals don't know, because they're the fucking admirals, because it's Star Trek. But for the most part, there isn't too much fake tension over whether this could be right or not, because of course it's right. Because Odo sent him.
0: But then, like, as she's getting this, where, like, oh, the war is not popping off, this was, like, an isolated incident, these Jem'Hadar were, like, operating on their own they they didn't di- they didn't agree with the founders being like oh we should like actually uh, abide by the treaty like the federation word comes in we are sending a task force of like romulans and klingons and the federation they're going to be here in like three days yep. and they'll sort this out so it looks like the cold war is about to become a very hot war uh and kira's like well i've got proof that maybe that's not the case but there's no actual proof because the Jemadar's documents exploded on his ship and he just beamed aboard like cloaked <laughs> to like be the messenger but he doesn't have anything that proves it yeah but then while that's happening (laughs) because the
1: end of this book isn't so much like an end as 12 different things happening uh jake is on the platform uh and he has this really lovely moment with nog as he's like oh we're both old and very different people now and we won't be friends again we'll like meet up but we're not gonna be what we were uh And I'm glad they gave that beat before he goes to be like, I'm not going to tell anyone what I'm doing, but
0: I'm flying into the wormhole because the prophecy is behind me. And at the same time, Laren gets the translation of said prophecy and uh, immediately believes it because it's full of like the timeline that we opened with, I guess, that opened the book. That proves everything would be real. And so yep. she's like read the Star Trek timelines. like, oh yeah, this checks out. Clearly the things that are in the future must be true also. Yeah. And then runs to Kira and he's like, have you well. seen the movie knowing? <laughs> <laughs> runs to Kira and is like, this prophecy says that, oh, like the Avatar will be the second child of the emissary. But for him to be born, 10,000 people must die. Which dun, dun, is da-da. the most hilarious, like <laughs> Silver Age comic book bullshit that I've ever seen, much less oh. in Star Trek.
1: It's amazingly stupid. And it's like everything that had completely gone away that I hated about that first chapter just straight back slaps you in the face Then the book ends.
0: (laughs) And like, I'm willing to believe the Bajorans have a stupid prophecy that 10,000 people have to die before the child of the emissary is born. But I don't believe that Rolaren, who is like been super skeptical, who wears her earring on the wrong side just to piss off the rest of her people, is like going to buy into it the minute she sees it, just because there's a lot of factual proof, just because she found, like, the Nostradamus tablet, and is like, well, clearly these ones that haven't happened must be true. She found Destiny's
1: Diaries, and they're like, oh, that's us reading these diaries! <laughs> uh, and, um... It's dumb. It's done. And, like, that's just where it ends. It just, That's just the chapter it ends on, because the book doesn't... It's, yeah, there are two books, Avatar Book 1 and Book 2, and it's so clear they're just split it in half.
0: <laughs> so interspersed through all this which we didn't talk about because it doesn't actually matter (laughs) much to what is happening the enterprise e is in the badlands on a mission and they've got an old commander named elias vaughn just hanging out as like their advisor because they're looking for a cardassian freighter and he has experience with the cardassians whatever uh And they're just doing Star Trek shit of sitting around waiting for something to happen. And the thing happens in that they beam aboard this freighter when they find it. And inside is one of the missing Bajoran orbs. Yes, And they all have, like, the away team that includes Vaughn all has these, like, nostalgic flashbacks of their life. Yep. And Elias is, like, changed his life because he was like, I'm going to retire. I'm tired of being used for war or whatever. And he has this vision that includes cisco and apparently comes out the other side like i have a renewed purpose i know what i'm gonna do which is gonna be in the next book i guess because it's not in this one
1: yeah because all the other uh, people in the away team just have these long chapters of oh i'm doing this and it's just an episode of star trek as weird things happen with no explanation until there is an explanation uh and it just pauses for there to be an episode of star trek and it's incredibly weird because it's n- like there's a mo- the-, the moment where it became incredibly weird for me uh is when they describe Geordi's eyes. And I'm like, no, no, they're too old. No, I can't. It's weird. It's yeah. too weird.
0: We'll, we'll talk about this more when we get into actual Enterprise books, probably. Or, I mean, like, Enterprise-E books. I don't but think we will. I, I think I, this is a specific thing of the pre-Nemesis Enterprise-E stuff. Yeah, maybe. I don't like... Like, ultimately, I don't like the Enterprise-E, like, anything about it. And I don't like the idea of the Star Trek cast of TNG, like, existing on the Enterprise-E, doing next generation shit on this movie ass ship with all their movie ass old looks and like the idea that they just continue to have the same kind of adventures on this ship as like entirely different people that are badly written is not like it, it bothers me so much and,
1: and it bothers me a little less but it still bothers me a bit and it's very strange because they just the book stops for like 50 pages to just to give you an episode of Star Trek, and it's you yep. know, fine. It's well written. It's a decent episode, but it is it is so strange about what the TNG crew meant at this time post Dominion War. Like the idea that after the Dominion War, it would still be the same crew together.
0: Just it's time to check out a thing. It's, it's weird. The the same crew together like on a warship, like because <laughs> the Enterprise E is like the like fucking cool knife show version of Star Trek as like ship design. I mm-hmm. hate it so much. Mm-hmm. And just hanging out in the Badlands, like scanning shit. Like I cannot believe that this is what this ship would be doing at this time. Yeah,
1: but no, I I, I do assume, or I would like for the books set after Nemesis to like begin to interrogate that a bit, and I bet they will.
0: Because uh, once yeah. they're given I mean, the free like, reign for all the like, yeah, people, yeah. Because then, like, then, like then, like Riker is gone doing his own thing. And, like, yeah. Troy's there. And, like, so, like, what the Enterprise is becomes, like, a different makeup. So who knows what they're off to do.
1: Exactly. But in this in this one, uh, they, they find this orb. And he is changed by it. And that's, that's basically all that happens in the Enterprise plot that's relevant. I mean, it's not well, relevant yet. <laughs> but...
0: Except for the fact that, like, they are meant to rendezvous with the task force that's going to go to DS9. And they're ready, like... Vaughn's like oh I need to go because I have this orb and DS9 going to be really happy to see this orb and clearly the orb is like the MacGuffin around which the plot rotates but at the same time like the fleet has been waiting for them because the Badlands like Fry Communications and the like the warp engines are like busted or something so they don't make it and the fleet decides to go to DS9 without the Enterprise. I Which I'm sure is not going to cause drama in the next one. I
1: book. don't remember. For some reason I thought it was... That they hadn't been able to contact the Enterprise.
0: They haven't been able to contact them, but the Enterprise is delayed because, like, the ships, the the engines are like. Oh well, sure, like, but
1: I don't think the, anyone on the Enterprise knows DS Nine has been attacked. Like, I don't. think Oh anyone, sure. And that's but then true. they're not going to join the fleet. No, they no, are, they're just going to DS Nine. They're just to going to DS Nine. The also, but <laughs> they
0: do have orders to be part of the task force that's going there.
1: Yeah, but they don't haven't received them yet. Is my point? Like, no, the, that's the crew true. of the Enterprise don't know that what is happening. And, like, the, that is a bubble. It hasn't but, been burst
0: yet. Uh, Elias talks about having orders that are like confidential from Starfleet and he assumes Picard has them. So I assume he has the information that DS9 has been attacked, but not that the task force has happened. I don't know. but Yeah, it's not sure how the timeline lines up, but he knows something about something that's going on. Yeah. How about that?
1: He knows something about something because he's super Black Ops secret evil old guy. Not really that evil. Did a lot of war.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's big boss in Star Trek. He's Star Trek big boss. But that which yeah. actually makes him the best character.
1: <laughs> what if Big Boss found an orb and was like I'm dedicating myself to religion? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Uh, but that's, that's fine. And and we don't really have a good like ending way to sum up this book as a good climax to this podcast cuz it doesn't end. It just it stops. No, uh but you know next month, second half. Second half is coming. So before we uh stop the whole podcast uh what like what are your high points from the book what is uh what was your real your real good takeaways
0: um hmm real good takeaways huh
1: all high points it's uh, <laughs> a better I phrase i think
0: like i like the friction between Ro, laren and kira a yep. lot yeah uh though they are really interesting characters to bounce off each other cuz they are so alike but their differences are fundamental in a way that like I can't imagine they'd ever be like really good friends, even though they'll probably be really great comrades.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, I like Esri continuing to develop because she's a great character who got short shrift by being at the end of a very busy season of a very, like a show that was winding down.
1: Yeah, Esri uh, is, uh, gets a lot of development here and it's very clear that like, oh, Esri's the only one that hasn't had already years of exploring her. We'll just, we'll do a lot with her. We've got, we've got yep. space to play with.
0: Uh, I like that, like, characters like Cassidy Yates and Vic Fontaine, who are, like, not main characters, but, like, the heart of the show, like, show up and are still the heart of these books. Yep. Uh, Cassidy Yates is, like, the unsung hero of DS9 in a lot of ways, I feel Uh, like. For sure. Um, the things I don't like, all of this prophecy bullshit, every single second of it. Holy jeez. And, yeah, we, we don't know, maybe all
1: the DS9 stuff... Is going to like maybe all the books in the future are going to just play off this prophecy, or maybe it's just going to be dealt with in the next book.
0: I would like to think, like, I just want them to like establish a new status quo that has to do with these prophecies and then move on. Uh,
1: I am can. Th- I'm a hundred percent certain that's not going to happen for like six books. I think we'll I know. See. I mean, I'm because okay. f- of the title of the book. I'm like, oh. All right.
0: Well. I'm very curious. I mean, we're we're gonna do them one way or another. So yeah, let's hope they turn around because otherwise, we're gonna, I'm gonna complain a lot in the next couple episodes.
1: Yeah, well, because that's the one part of DS Nine that is so delicate handling. Like a lot of prophecy shit happens in DS Nine. The core of the ending of that show occurs because of in season six, Cisco does something that requires a price to be extracted from the by the gods. Like it's. Yeah mythic storytelling and a merged with uh just pure star trek episodes writing style that is it's such a hard thing to get right and if you get it wrong you just get oh here's the book that tells you exactly what's going to happen yeah so let's see we'll see how it goes maybe it could all be a disaster but i'm hoping not it's been smart about how it's handled its plot so far
0: yeah um so that that's it uh that's all we, we don't do have questions because we're recording these in advance we probably won't have questions and stuff until like episode four would be my guess yeah we'll have, um,
1: we'll have questions but not i don't know this is it's a big enough podcasts
0: yeah i would like a way for if anyone watches this or listens to this to write in but we have not set that up yet
1: we have not set that up that. so feel free to at either of us on twitter
0: yes and you? by the time this comes out uh we will have already recorded the next two of these for sure yeah
1: we are having ourselves a backlog
0: Um, so next month we are going to be talking, of course, our book is going to be Avatar book two of two as we figure out what the hell happens with all this. I'm shocked. Yeah. Yeah. But we have, we have episodes, too, episodes that we are going to pick. Jackson, what is your choice? My choice
1: is Duet, which is episode 19 of season one of DS9, because I really wanted to take a jump back to the start and see where it all began. And I remember Duet as being the episode uh, where... what is that? What is that about, like, that in is... the short? Because I don't remember. Short of the episode is uh, Kira interrogates a Cardassian um, prisoner. And it's okay. where a lot of, like, the stuff that DS9 becomes it kind of appears there like it's not anything to do with the dominion but it's it's where the show was going was in that episode and and, but in this very early way so i wanted to jump back and see what that's like
0: okay and i am picking masks which is the next generation episode 17 of season seven and it is my favorite bad episode of next generation
1: uh is it though
0: Yes, because my other goofy favorites are actually good episodes. This one is a legitimately bad episode.
1: Oh, is it? I don't know. It's got a lot of content. Com- yeah, competition specifically with an Ancestral Ghost Abuser.
0: That's your favorite <laughs> bad Next Generation episode, Jackson, <laughs> oh, not mine. so good!
1: Oh, bad Star Trek. Come back next time for a talk about that. It's going to be great.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah and uh that's it so where can people find you jackson other podcasts websites you can
1: find me at Headfuls uh on twitter you can find me at Headfulsoff.com to see what i'm doing and on uh, abnormalmapping.com there may be another podcast uh which is in planning works now i don't know if it'll be out by december uh but i don't know we'll see if it's out it's out if it's not it's not check the other places to find out
0: uh abnormal mapping of course is the video game podcast I do with Jackson we've been going for 3 years now Christ, uh, it's, it's been a long time
1: 3 years and 2 months now
0: uh and uh, <laughs> that's a monthly podcast about video games please yes. enjoy it yes. uh we like it a lot uh we wish you had more listeners but instead we're doing this uh <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at being uh and I tweet a lot about things that are not star trek and uh, you can also find me at all of the com in which I write all the no WordPress, not Blogspot. What am I talking I was, about? about WordPress.com
1: blogger.com. Uh,
0: no, Blogger <laughs> sucks. Uh, where you can uh, someday I'll buy a URL when I have uh, like throw on money and then I'll just own all of the Wonder Woman. It's available, oh. uh, and it's a great URL where I just am going and writing about every single Wonder Woman comic uh, and TV show slowly, but I'm doing it all. So, please enjoy that. It's a lot of dumb work, but I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, it's good stuff. So, thank That's you. That's it. Thank you. May very the much. force be
0: with you. <laughs>
1: I hate you. I hate you so much. How is that better than Rodo?